rehearse are empty and the stages are all dark We can't be asked to make sourdough when they've locked our local park We're a pair of nosy parkers with not much to do So we've called up some of our performer friends and recorded them on Zoom Curtain Twitchers We're Curtain Twitchers Hello everyone, welcome to Curtain Twitches, the podcast in which we relieve our existential angst about the state of live performance by having a chat with some of our performer friends. We are George and Liv, sometimes known as Bourgeois and Maurice. Sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time, thankfully, for our psyche. Yes. How are you? I'm, I'm alright, you know, plodding on. As they say. <laughs> oh, it's all you can do. It's all you can bloody do. How are you? Yeah, I have no idea how I am, to be honest with you. I've completely lost touch with my feelings. Yeah, well, I think that's probably actually the only way to stay sane. Absolutely. Um, do you want to introduce our guest today on the I podcast? I would love to. In this episode, we chat to the brilliant performance artist, writer and theatre maker, Travis Alabanza. Um, we first came across Travis when they were performing in Scotty's show Putting Words in Your Mouth at the Roundhouse in London in 2016. Um, they've also played the lead role in the stage adaptation of Derek Jarman's punk film Jubilee. They are a published poet and the youngest person to be awarded a residency at the Tate. They are also a truly delightful human being. Oh God, it's really annoying isn't it when people have done that much that and they're much. also really nice. I know. Um, In 2018, they created the award-winning show Burgers, in which they discuss and deconstruct the moment they were assaulted in the street when someone threw a burger at them. Burgers has gone on to tour internationally to huge critical acclaim and has helped cement Travis as one of the most exciting and insightful theatre makers working in the UK right now. They were actually on tour with Burgers in Brazil when Covid hit, but they are now safely back in the bosom of Bristol, which is where we speak to them. Just a reminder again, this is all socially distanced podcasting recorded over the internet, so there might be some sounds and ambient background noise and a few glitches. We really hope you can forgive us. Okay, let's dive right in. Curtain Twitchers. We're Curtain Twitchers. You look like really pro, got really pro set up there with your microphone. (laughs) I've, I've been doing voiceover work. Oh. Well, we all had to try and we were scraggling around like what other skills do I have? <laughs> <laughs> and so um they sent me like a little mic, you know. I didn't put the sound protector on, I didn't think we needed that. But no. but yes, um that was week three of lockdown, I got that. So um I've been looking prof- I've been looking like I've been working more ever since, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, week three. That's very yeah. like I think I was still like deep in the kind of unreality of what the hell was going on in week three I was <laughs> not thinking yeah, about I work like, I did like a well I'm not trying naturally me I'm comparing myself to everyone but if hearing my friends the general consensus is like when it started I did like what I always do I just didn't process it and went like and then it got to week four and I stopped and then like was like oh and only really like two weeks ago I got out of a week from week four to whatever week two weeks ago was, I was kind of quiet. Right. Right. And was just like, uh, but I think because I worked, like I carried on and from week one to three, it, it kind of warmed me. It was weird. I don't know. I don't really know what I was doing. I got this mic. But you got <laughs> a microphone. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, an amazing collection of glasses as well. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> that was literally it. That's what you've done with lockdown. You've just like curated this extraordinary eyewear range. <laughs> was that happening before lockdown? 
literally it was not because before lockdown I was wearing contact lenses and um my eye doctor I've got really bad eyesight like really really bad and my eye doctor was like um you need to stop wearing contact lenses I was like I can't it doesn't go with the show like I can't be on stage <laughs> with glasses. and then lockdown happened I was like well this is my chance to like give my eyes a rest and I stopped smoking when lockdown started as well oh, no and so I just, and I was like, this is good because I need to save money because what's the job? Well, no, I just funneled the money into all the money from smoking and Paulette eyewear. <laughs> <laughs> a new addiction. I think that's <laughs> a really <laughs> good use. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 20 a day, just going to change the <laughs> <laughs> So you're in Bristol at the moment? I'm in Bristol, yeah. I moved from London three weeks ago. Okay. Um, because... Uh, I lived, I lived in a really beautiful house for two and a half years with artists, but um, we were all artists that tour yeah. and then the lease was getting redone up and it kind of sped along our, pro- I think we were going to move out the year after, I think we all wanted one more year together, like they all have partners and stuff like that and they just sped up the partnering process and I'm now taking my cat to the vet on Wednesday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, we're all grown and changed. Really. <laughs> you become your future selves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've sped up that process. They've sped up their process. <laughs> but yeah, and I, and I kind of was like, started looking around in London because I've been in, you know, hmm. for what, seven, eight years now. And then I just was looking at it all and I was like, maybe this is the only chance I'll get to like not be in London and hmm. not have aggressive FOMO about it and test mm. the waters for not being back home because I kind of have been on my mind about moving back to Bristol anyway a bit like in the last year or so I've been thinking about it right and I was like maybe this seems like the time to try and see what that feels like is it, it must be an interesting atmosphere in Bristol at the moment though like you're in the epicenter of so much I mean you always are that's what that's that's you right <laughs> You, you just know your witchy powers like where, where needs me where in the world am I needed <laughs> yeah everyone was like oh now you decide to say you're a Bristolian good timing <laughs> <laughs> um but I well technically you know I this suits with my lockdown vibe I'm actually on the outskirts of Bristol for the first time in my life, you know? So I just want to make that clear because I know that if Bristolians are listening, they might go at me when they hear where I am. They'll be like, that ain't Bristol. I grew up in Bristol. Um, but this time round, I'm actually, it suits my new vibe, you know? I'm actually on the outskirts. I'm watching the statues go down. I'm enjoying it. I'm celebrating it. I'm uh, discussing it with the suburban neighbours. Um, right. um, You're in Bath, really, aren't yeah. you? I'm in Bath, really. <laughs> Technically, I'm on the bit where you walk two minutes and you see the sign that says welcome to South Gloucestershire. So technically you're in Bristol, but as a true Bristolian, I know this ain't Bristol. Okay. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no, no, I can tell it ain't Bristol. Um, I'm in like a, a suburb that never quite got gentrified, but clearly at one point it was trying to. Right. Like it was a white working class area that like had some people come in to try and gentrify eight years ago and it never really happened. So you've got this like awkward tension between like the yummy mummies that thought this was going to be the yummy mummy space and like everyone that votes Brexit and Tory. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting town. This has been like a Tory stronghold, I think, for like like the past seven elections. Oh, so, really? Wow. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not the Bristol, like, you know, everyone thinks Bristol is like, but there's like one section of Bristol that has been like conservative for 
no ages. Mm. I'm out there. I'm out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm walking to the shops like this. <laughs> Do you get how is it? How is it? How is it like walking to the shops like that? Fuck fuck for masks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the one time I'm grateful for mask energy in my life. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's funny because I I still cycle down into the centre to do my shopping near my mum because that's the place I know and it's the vibes mm. I know and I'll bump into people I know. But when I did walk to the shop here, I was in like tracksuit bottoms and like really like not these bold statement glasses, a calm thing. I'd wrapped up my belt, be- like braids in a bun and they were still still gawking and I was like well wait until you see what tomorrow's got (laughs) (laughs) the next day I wore like this tartan dress with like this matching tartan mask and these big heels I walked to the shop powering and everyone was like and I was like I love I love it because you know the parties have stopped the clubs have stopped I'm not really going out I'm not like you know I'm really just in my room so if this is the only bit of drama I get then (laughs) (laughs) gotta take it I think like that's one of the reasons we wanted to start this this podcast actually just thinking about that like not having those spaces that we're so used to being in to like not just perform but just like be as well and how we I've been that's something I've been sort of like struggling like finding like not just my space to express but just like I don't know because you're one is a different person in different spaces and kind of not having that performance space I felt I felt really sad about it actually like and even not seeing George physically for like quite a long time was was quite sad because you know we do just honestly it was such a relief (laughs) (laughs) yeah sad watching you separate I was like prepared and I was like oh my god yes it almost was like my first like of queer life you two together (laughs) (laughs) this the kind of we were just talking about this yesterday and we were saying that it feels a bit like having your superpower taken away like there's just one thing that you can do and then what I I found with us with writing that was really true because not being able to be in the same space as each other we couldn't I just couldn't write like yeah. we couldn't make work we're very used to like kind of that dynamic did did you did, does performance give you something and what have you not having the ability to do it what have you how has that affected you during lockdown this is why I said yes not just, I just wanted to talk to you both yeah. because I wanted to talk to another like performers because I felt like well some of us it depends what we wanted to do you know and no one's doing it right or wrong but like I was like shit I need to make money I'm going to have to flex a different part of myself that doesn't require a stage. And so I suddenly was like, I'm a writer, I'm doing this, this and this, which I do do. But like, I had to like put aside that performing was this huge part of my identity. And then when I got the invite to be on your podcast, I kind of reminded, because I was like, oh, well, when's the last time we saw you? Probably on a stage or probably on this. or when? And then I just remembered that this is such a fundamental part of who I am. And we were both, your show was still going or no, it just finished. Just, just finished, finished yeah. literally two days before lockdown. Right, so like you're coming off of this major show, this major moment. I was just in Brazil with burgers and then it stops. And you're like, and that's what I mean by like week four for me was when it all caught up. Because right. one to three, I think I acted like I was still on tour, but just on Zoom. And I was like treating Zoom as if it was like an Arts Council funded tour to get work. And I was really stressed out and like um, really just freaking out because I'm not, you know I learned a lot about money management in this time I learned a lot about um you know I support I had a lot of outgoings that aren't me but then when lockdown happened it really shifted and then week four hit and I realized that for me 
what I love about performing and not just performing, I think you're so right, the performance spaces that we both are in and can be in is, is it's not just, people think, people always condense it to like, oh, you're just, you're missing the applause. I'm like, no, it's not actually that. I miss the part of myself that is celebrated when I'm on stage. And because I didn't realize, because I do it so much now or have done it so much, I didn't realize how much it was doing because it was just part of my life. And then it went and it got to week four when I was like, what am I missing? Like what's happening? And I'm like, oh, like I'm not being celebrated for like my femininity or celebrated for my like campness or like celebrated for all of that. And I get that on stage mm. and I'm like, oh, instead I'm like going to the shops and being stared at and all these other things that happen in life normally but without the performing aspect. So I'm really missing that. I'm missing like being celebrated, but mm. not clapped. I think people are pulling it down to applause. It's not that. Yeah. It's, we get to, I mean, we're all like, you know, speaking to you two who like really, I, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when I watch Audra Maurice, like, you know, like a character comes alive on stage and you get to use wit and humour in a way that maybe you can't in your everyday life with people because we'd be called an asshole. I miss that. Like, yeah. I'm locking that, you know? Yeah. How did you get into performance? Like, what was your route into performance? Because I actually do think of you as a writer as much as I think as you as a performer. Um, so what came first? Were you writing and then performing or were you performing and then writing in the beginning? I'm glad that you said you think I'm a writer. That's good for my little change that I'm doing. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that one I can still do. Um, that's why we're going for the black turtleneck, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very, you know, transforming. Um, you know, I think for me, it wasn't that writing definitely didn't come first. Um, I didn't think I could actually write until about, until after Burgers. It's when I started oh. out saying that I think I can write. Up until then, I was really, self, like, wouldn't really call myself a writer, would just be like, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, and wouldn't really say writing, and then Burgers writing a full script, I was like, actually, this is okay. Mm. Um, but when I was younger, um, I was friends with someone that went to Bristol Vic Drama School, but that was where the posh kids went. Um, and they would do, like, it was at the time that I, you know, I'm, I'm still baby, but when I was growing up, it was when Knee High was really, like back around like everyone was doing weird physical theater shit like posh kids so like on that side of town and so i remember in drama class the person that had gone to Bustovic was like doing all this like weird fucking like we were there doing like our monologues you know like about abortions that we hadn't had you know because you're at gcse drama and, you know we're doing those static monologues and there was this one kid that was like fucking like doing all this weird ass shit and i was like that is cool and they were like yeah i go to bristol vic and i was like i want to go to bristol vic i'm gonna go and then i realized quite early on the barriers of fear from a young age um, my mum was like no way are we spending that money and i was really sad and i was like is there any way that i can do it and, and there wasn't an email we tried to get bursaries that just wasn't a thing but then um but really just loved drama at school like i was just a kid that loved drama at school but then wasn't like was like oh well I can't be an actor because no one's an actor and I don't really know anything else like I didn't have any idea that there were performers existing like I had no idea that live art artists like I didn't know that an artist was a job so I was like right I'm gonna go and be a teacher um so I was like I'm just gonna go to uni be a teacher but then I found an open mic night that was like all ages at Stokes Croft in Bristol um, at the Arts Corner, which doesn't exist anymore, or Arts House Corner, something like that, people will know. 
And I begged my friend to go. I was like, please, can we go? Please, 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 please. And she was like, really? Like, it's a Tuesday night, like we're 18. I was like, no, I want to go, like, please. And so we went and we're like the youngest by like 35 years. And um, <laughs> it's a real odd mix of people. Like now looking back at it, I'm like, that was the queerest room ever. At the time, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. We're talking like there was a gay priest. And there was like these like two hipsty Indo boys that were like clearly like trying to like suck up their soul. There was like loads of like really like rad feminist stuff. And then there was me who had written this poem, inverted commas, for the listeners at home, um, <laughs> about a blowjob. But in it, I had done all this physical theatre movement that was like working shit, posing around. And really it was just me trying to do drama without the drama school, but I found poetry. And you know, I think people first saw me as like a poet, but I hated that because I saw myself as like, I was like, no, I'm gonna be like David Hoyle and Scotty. Like, I'm a performance artist, stop calling me a poet. But it was more that like open mics were the only free thing that I could go to. That I knew of like they were the only things that were advertised to me so I was like the way I'm gonna get my fix on stage is this is free I can go every week and I can just learn how to work an audience mm -hmm. so I didn't train myself in like a drama school or the cool alternative world of like a club it was more a dated poetry night in Bristol <laughs> <laughs> which I'm headlining next week see you then <laughs> <laughs> But what an amazing like thing to have like an audience basically every yeah. like because you know I, we went to uni and studied dra like drama but it wasn't it was certainly wasn't like performance training it was very sort of theoretical and we've been we're we, we you know people ask us what's your process and all this stuff and we don't have one we just sit in a room and chat to each other and then we get in front of an audience like it's always been I was like we just have to get in front of an audience like that's the best training that we I found for, for what we do as well. And, and that is, I guess, a weird, that is one of the weird things about lockdown is not having that access to um, your, your, yeah, an your audience. audience. Have you found you're using socials as a kind of like slight sort of stepping stone towards an audience? Does it give you the same level of? Not at all. No. Because, um, uh, no, not at all, because... Um, Audiences eventually shut up, and social media people. <laughs> <laughs> um, audiences can understand your tone in a joke. Uh, Twitter, you, you won't. No, not at all. I think, but I think my relationship to social media is like I just, I fucking hate it. Despite someone that's like actively there, like I really, really, uh, I'm trying to move. You know, I'm just building up the time to eventually rock out the mailing list um, mm. because I. No, I don't think it's been a bridge. I think it's been actually really nice to me to not promote anything. That's what's been lovely about social media. I feel like for the first time in a while, I've been using social media actually just as like a social media account. Mm -hmm. Like talking about my cat, posting silly pics, like posting my glasses, like there's nothing for me to promote. And it really helped me make a commitment to myself that whenever my work starts to look like it did before, if it does, whatever, that I need to be really conscious of when I'm like on promoting something and when I'm off. And that actually my social media doesn't have to be on all the time. Mm. And this time off has really helped me realise that. I was like, oh, I'm really enjoying just commenting on everyone's pictures, being like, you look really cute. And like sharing weird stuff and looking at like other things. And I've not missed promoting stuff avidly on social media at all. And so whenever the next show exists, um, the postponed and the postponed becomes finally, what's the word? opposite to postponed, pwned, um, then uh, <laughs> I will 
pre-poned. <laughs> when, when the show gets pwned and is on, <laughs> I'm going to really think about social media and promoting because I've been on a rabbit, like a wheel for, for a long time. So mm. I'm not, God, I sound like one of these fucking cliche people that are like, lockdown's really helped me pause. <laughs> but true, mm. you know, like, and, and I understand that takes a lot of privilege. I understand that there is privilege in being able to rest. But it, it's so true that we were speaking to Justin Vivian Pond as well. And May was saying, because I was saying one of the things that that cliche thing, but the thing is lockdown has given me time to just stop, especially with everything that's been going on and to just go to just not, I don't have to say anything right now. I just have to just acknowledge and absorb. And like my, I've gone quite like sort of internal, like I'm just reading and I'm thinking and I'm not like externalizing it yet. And then, um, yeah, and Viv was saying that that's, that's the thing. When you're a busy, successful artist, how lovely for us. But at the same time, it, it kind of, you don't have, ever have that time to just stop and go, right, what am I making? <laughs> what am I thinking about all these things? And um, so, yeah, I know it is a cliche, but it's definitely, I've found the same, like the lockdown, there's been really challenging, really challenging parts to it. But there's been, you know, as with everything, there's been like positives and the positive is I've, I just had some time to just reflect and think. And to be personally, I've had time to spend some time with my daughter, which I haven't spent time well, with. This is what I was going to say. <laughs> like, you're not touring and you've got your kids. Like, that must have been, like, both amazing and maybe frustrating. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> A little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, it was lush. But the first bit was really nice because after we finished this big show, so we were kind of had planned to take, you know, a couple of weeks of not doing anything anyway. So the first, like, three weeks of lockdown were, like, like you say, they were just sort of, like... That's quite nice. And I was just, just me and my daughter and my partner. That was lovely. Then it was like, ah, no, okay, like, actually. Are you allowed to tell me, this can be edited out because you're the editor, isn't it? Yeah. Is, was the show going to come to London? Will I be able to, like, what's the tea with that? Oh. Well. I really wanted to fucking see it. Yeah. Stupid, annoying Londoners. So was like, <laughs> Yeah. So the conversation's like, by the end of the run where like a lot of London theatres came to see it and there was a lot of interest and then yeah there was like a kind of plan that it would potentially get um we would remount it next year in the summer in Manchester then take it into London and then it might have a longer life in London um but all of that has yeah basically yeah. stopped yeah yeah but hopefully that will pick yeah. up because what I'm saying to people is, and I'm trying to think about this with my own projects that were all, you know, halted. Yeah. Is that energy, like, and this is, again, wow, I'm really sounding internal, especially the braids and the high bun. It's really doing something. But <laughs> the energy that was there to make those things happen, I've had to really reckon with myself. I'm like, that energy is still somewhere in those conversations. Yeah. And that means that the intentions are still there. And I think that, like, I think that artists, particularly the freelance artists, and obviously we all have different various levels of access and like we're obviously very lucky that we were able to think about rest or think about this mm -hmm. but I do think that because of what our sector has gone through and is going through and the conversations you know and I mean them off Twitter because the Twitter ones that don't feel productive at all mm -hmm. but um I think we're going to come back clearer some of us the ones that can come back the ones that then and then to fight for the ones that can't but like mm -hmm. I think that the work that I think being able to pause and think about your practice hopefully means that the work that we're going to make after, I think I'm, we're going to start to see artists really like declaring their own space mm. and really being like bold in what they want and what they want to do. Like I'm excited. I'm, I know that there's a lot of fear and I know that like 
there's going to be so many people that can't work and hopefully the DIYness of work because you know I, I don't know I think some people are I've only ever worked in institutions but I'm like actually there's so many other ways to fucking make work yeah yeah so many ways that not to, like you know I was only the first time I was ever funded was burgers before that I was doing everything you know not you know like and I just think that there's going to be some clarity in people's work because we've had to sit with what our work is without mm -hmm. a stage and without the audience and without the noise and without the promo it's like what do you actually want to make yeah. And everyone's had to as well. Like, it's not just like, oh, I'm being left behind and everyone's like going, like, it's like everyone's paused. Have you felt any pressure to like create work to put up online? Yeah. I, I mean, I did in week one to four. So I did that. I did an online show on week three, which when I look back on, I'm like, what the fuck was I on about? Um, but it was like this pressure. Mm -hmm. to be like right I am someone that adapts I'm someone that this I'm someone that's that mm -hmm. and I think I realized really quickly that just like when you're writing for stage the internet is its own form that you really need to work with and think about and so if you're going to do it do it well or don't like you I felt this pressure and I was like actually I don't need to do this this isn't where my skill set lies and if I'm going to do this I want to do it really well um but now I'm writing some like online play monologue things um which like will never like thrill me the most like you know but I think um you know paying bills and wanted to write for it um but yeah I kind of felt a pressure but then I'm not gonna lie I'll be honest with you I stopped thinking about the arts when like the politic like the political world felt mm. so <clears throat> so like demanding that I kind of forgot that I was an artist and I forgot that I was in the arts and I forgot about sector and I just was thinking about so many other things. Mm. We were the same, like we had felt that pressure and then we made a couple of little videos for something and then it was like, actually we don't need to. And like you say, the world suddenly, it was like, is this, what what's important and right now for energy levels? Like, and you know, are we, do we need to be, do bourgeois need to be present right now? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, with a name like Bourgeois, maybe. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it definitely, um, it feels cliche to say, but like there were so many ruptures happening at the same time in our world. Mm. And they're still happening, but you know, there was, I think we all know the weeks where it felt like, fuck, everything is rugging like out. And I was like, I, don't, I actually cancelled an online project that I was with, with a theatre. Um, who, you know, it was hard for like to do a cancellation, but I said, I don't actually know what output looks like right now. Yeah. I said, I don't really know what my output could look like. And not only that, when you put something out online, I don't have, you know, when you're on stage and you can see that you're plummeting, but your mm -hmm. control and gauge of an audience means you can just go whoop and change. Online, you have no idea if your thing is not landing, how it's meant to land. And I was like, I don't, that's a huge responsibility right now. And I was like, I don't need to risk that right now. You, yeah, I, yeah, we, we did even just this like online workshop and it was just, you know, we just, it was just as, uh, just as George and Liv and we were just chatting, but we were, so, we were so nervous about it. And then, then we did it and we were all just like, and afterwards it was just like, oh God, oh God, how was that? Cause it's like, I couldn't gauge it, you know, at the time. And then- um, no, sorry, I keep on, I'm chatting. No, 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 I just, I blather on until someone stops me, so yeah. cut in. <laughs> but in the workshops, what I was going to say is if you're doing another one, what I did in the workshops that was really corny, but it really helped, is I got everyone 
before I started, I used the chat bar here and I just said, hey everyone, I'm nervous. And everyone started writing how they were feeling in the chat oh. bar. And it was so fucking corny. But then it was like really cute. Like everyone just named where they were at. And then I felt like I launched into the watch and mm. it was fine. And it was like really interesting because I was like, that's what I'm missing. You see, you know, we're gauges of energy. That's the first time that I felt that anything like that energy that you get with an audience in a real room is actually yeah. doing something on Zoom. It actually was slightly inspiring. I, I mm. found that bit. That was the only thing that we've done that I thought, actually, I think that there's something kind of exciting yes. in this. Yes. That yes. you can, you can actually have a dialogue with, and, and it's a selected audience. It's not the, it's not Twitter. Yeah, yes. I think that will be the way. I think that will be the way that artists feel like they're back in the arts will be the share. I think there's been a lot of skill sharing this mm. like, last three months, like this, like people doing workshops. And, and I think that we forget that that's such a huge part of like being an artist and yeah. I think that might be where the focus goes to which I'm looking forward to you know and um, with the kind of like thinking about activism as well and performance like because your work is 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 really both I think crosses those it's particularly it's burgers particularly burgers and like do you has your performance always been like has activism and performance always have they like intersected with you and would you agree with that? I mean, maybe you wouldn't agree that you're... Yeah, I don't know. I recently um, figured out who I knew that had a Wikipedia account to finally edit activists out of the, my Wikipedia page. Oh, okay, interesting. And, I did that, and I've been wanting to do that for years. I just, again, lockdown means that your to-do list, you can do all these things. <laughs> One of them was really that. I was pissed off. One, they said my age was wrong. And two, like, and I've never, I've never actually called myself an activist, despite what Google will tell you. I've never used that word ever, actually describe myself. Because it wasn't theatre press that called me at first. It was like more when like, you know, some other press shit was going down that they decided <laughs> to call me it. And um, I really adamantly just say that I make art, right? And I think that's because my work is inspired by like activists and organizers. And like, if I'm honest in a nerdy way, like a lot of my work is, is, is inspired by like really quite wanky academic theory. Like I love reading like academic theory about liberation movements. I love reading gender theory. I love all these things. But for me, my art is my art because my goal, I think it's, it depends on your intention when you write the work. And maybe I would call it activist if my intention when I was making burgers was to go, I want to make a show that changes everyone's mind. I'll be really honest, my intentions when I make these works, and maybe it will change, but has always been very selfish. My intention with burgers was a very self-indulgent intention that like, I am going through a lot of pain with this. I need to find a way to make sense of it. And so if my, if I, I think, if, and maybe the outcome has been the similar, like there has been lots of people that have changed their minds because of Burgers. Burgers has done like political work deeply, I think. But because I know my intention, I often call back at the activism because I was like, maybe it'd be different when my intention's different, but my intention is very selfish. And, and even when it's not with like my more community projects that I've done, I just think the word activist, maybe because like I grew up around like a lot of like, housing activists and a lot of activists around like that to me are doing like you know that aren't funded by arts council and are like slogging around doing the thing you know I just find when that word gets thrown on me like jostling around in a room I'm like no but I recognize that my work is political and I think for me 
it's so funny, the project that was meant to be coming out like sooner rather than later, I'm so excited about because for me, it is really political. And for me, it is really um, just as boldly political as Burgers. But I know that people aren't going <clears> to <throat> read it as that. And I'm really excited for that. Like people are not going to read it as a political show. People are going to be like, wow, Travis is doing like something softer or something this. And um, I just follow what I want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wish there was like a smarter, pro I think what you said about process really struck me. I was like, yeah, everyone always asks like, how do you make the topic for your show? And it's like, I don't just go like, what hot topic do I want to talk? I just make what feels comes from the heart, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Burgers was amazing. And it felt, it felt so, you know, it was very personal and you felt that pain completely in that show, which yeah. was amazing. But it's that micro, the micro made it macro, didn't it? Like the detail mm. of your experience yeah. made it so, I hate the word accessible, but like say, made it so like people could absolutely connect, connectable, let's say. <laughs> I love that you said accessible because that's exactly what I wanted from that show. And I think this goes into intentions. I think there was work I made that looks like burgers that never saw as many people. And I decided I was like, right, like, I want this show to be seen. But also I was like, you know, the show was met. And again, this has only happened through lockdown, the pause of really like, I, I didn't read all the reviews of Burgers. And in lockdown, I went back and read all the reviews. So I was like, I need to reflect on this moment properly. And I was like, you know, that show was made and came out the year that hate crime against trans people trebled. The wow. year that we suddenly saw this media onslaught come up. You know, we had turfs protest our Edinburgh show. We had... You know, people, yes, yes, we had security. We had to do, and you know, I'm only talking about this now because it's not happening. Mm. When the show was happening, we had to do, I remember before our UK tour, we had to do a security email to all our theatres because we were getting threats of the show being protested. We were getting, I was receiving death threats by email. At, um, we had hecklers, we had people come in and during the round of applause, like during the standing ovation would shout transphobic abuse at me. And we decided not to, tell anyone this online because we didn't want it to then circulate more mm. but that was all happening during the show oh and my goodness because when you're in show mode you have to promote and yeah. obviously also the show was receiving lots of like really great positive reviews you're kind of having to circle that but this pause I've really sat with like oh hold on a minute that show was protested like a fair few about times nice. some really wild things happened with the men with the volunteers with the like woman at the end you know like and so when I then sit with that I'm like oh yeah that show was political as fuck because it managed to like cause that you know <laughs> you know and like we had to send I remember I was like to the theater person I was like have you ever had a security email like that and they were like yeah but we had like a rock star turn up like you know not for theater and I was like yeah isn't it weird isn't it and then they were like well we don't think anything's gonna happen and you know like three days later we had protesters and hecklers, you know? Wild. That's wild. Yeah, I didn't realise any of that. No. no um, I kept so stush. Because I was embarrassed as well, if I'm honest. I was embarrassed. Oh, no. But in a, I think it's it's kind of amazing that you did because it stopped the show becoming about that. Mm. Because the show would then be the, pro, the show that gets protested rather than this very personal, amazing story. It was, yeah, thank you. It was exactly that reason. I said, you know, we were all like, what do we do? What do we do? And I was like, I've been an artist, working as an artist for like five years now, which I know isn't super long, but it's like not just happening. And I was like, I really wanted 
people to just see me as making good art. Like, yes, all these topics, yes, all these things I talk about, but like, I wanted people to come and like, really just be like, is this a show that is crafted well? Like, do we like this as a show? Yeah. And so, and it felt like at every turn, whether it was the reviews or like the press, everything else is being spoken about apart from like the craft. So when all this was happening, I was like, please no one say anything because I don't want it to people to be coming because the show got protested and they're pitying me. I want people to go away and go, I just saw this really sick piece of theatre. I think this person can really make art, you know? And that's what that was about for me. Did you feel, uh, after the success of it, and because it got such an amazing, kind of it developed such an amazing audience, is there a kind of responsibility and a pressure that you feel to suddenly become, like what was a personal experience becomes somehow you're speaking for the trans community. You are the, the voice. Yeah, absolutely. But I just don't even bother. Like, I don't even bother holding that. And I think, yes, Burgers was a success. But before that, I think the UK was trying to... There's been already moments where the UK had tried to make me a spokesperson for certain issues. And I think when, four years ago, when that was happening, I think I played into it a bit or didn't resist it as much. And now, like, you know, my first unconsensual press mention of me and my gender happened four years ago. It's like, this isn't new, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I've been in whatever liminal space of public, not public for a while. And I've really grown, like, Burgers, the first, 2018, maybe not, but the second year of Burgers when it kind of was the big tour, like, not in Hackney showroom. So much had happened, like, so much around my privacy, phone hacking, turfs coming in my thing, all of this. I was like, I can only speak for myself. This shit's mm. too wild to speak for anyone else. And I really adamantly say that, you know, when anyone says role model, I turn around and go, absolutely not. What's going on here? Like, what are we so invested in that we have to make me an exception? Actually, there's so many, and you know, I, that's why we developed trans talks around the show. So a lot of people don't know, but for burgers, again, it probably would have launched now, but when in all the places we did burgers, we also had a dinner of burger and chips with trans people before or after the show. And we'd record a dinner of burger and chips, vegan, because I know my audience. Um, but <laughs> we would eat and we'd archive their experiences of public harassment. Mm. And we learned, and it was quite intense, but it was also joyful. There was a lot of joy in the conversations and all these trans people would meet at these different places. And, you know, we recorded and at every single place we went to, there was more than two people that had had food for another. Wow. And for me that was really important to do this because every time in an interview when they bring up my story of exceptionalism I turn around and go absolutely not I did this thing a hundred percent of the people in this city that we're in right now said that they were afraid of going outside Mm. 32 percent of these people at this very tall venue of this 40 people said they had food front of them like this is not an exceptional story I've just chosen to make mine into a show like and I think that was really important for me to decenter myself from the wider conversation like use burgers as a springboard but then know that like, it is just the tip of so many complex trans stories, you know? And hopefully what was great about Edinburgh Fringe the, the year I was up, I'm so glad we picked that year and not the year before, is that there were incredible trans artists making such different work. You know, I remember seeing like Teddy Lamb and Michael Johnson show in the same mm. day, yeah. and then going to perform my own show and being like, those three shows could not have been any more different and any more different in their story and their experience. And we're all trans. And that was beautiful, you know, to be able to do that. Yeah, it was an amazing year, but also it was kind of like a culmination, I guess, of those 
of all the work that's been happening with kind of trans artists and and Edinburgh's changed so much as well thankfully in the last I think like that's my first time when we went there in 2009 I felt like we were like odd balls like we were like me who are these two like that, you know, it felt like yeah. I mean maybe that's just my own personal this changed so much it's so it's it feels like it's such a more it's a much more dynamic festival now than it was a decade ago yeah even though it's like still massively like <laughs> gatekeepers and yeah. gatekeepers are so, so challenging to get to and it's like outrageous the money but it did I was yeah that year it was last year right that we were yeah uh, it was fun I had so much fun <laughs> it was fun I love yeah. the line of yeah. people I just thought it was like it was amazing you know yeah yeah, we just went up to see stuff and I had the best time I've yeah. ever had in Edinburgh. We just like, yeah, we went for a weekend, which I've never done before. Yeah. But I had that like slight like, oh, I think I want to be there. Like, there was <laughs> such a, so many amazing people, so many friends who were up there. Like we just took a train up. We were like, let's just go and see basically everyone's yeah. show. And it was one of those, Edinburgh's like, I saw R- Rachel Young's show um, out and I hadn't seen Rachel's work before. And I was like, oh my God. Like, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, I'm, and this is what Edinburgh should be, to see something that you've not seen before. Yes. To see people that you respect and you know that are doing like, mm. hot, like hot shit because everyone says it, then to see them in that element. That's what I loved. Yes, I love. And I know that like, you know, like I really enjoyed Edinburgh. I had a great time, you know? And um, I know that it seeped in so much access and privilege. And I know that like, I purposely waited until I could go to a year that I was going to be funded properly to go. And how, yeah. mm. you know, I, I wait, I said, I'm not going to do it. You know, I was asked a lot of times and I was like, no, I'm going to go. and I'm going to do it bougie when I get to go. So I know I had a very <laughs> different experience to a lot of people, but one thing it was, is it was one. And I also think it brings back to when you first asked about like how I got into performance, all these old Vic young kids that I was growing up with, they would do like take their shows to Ed- like Bristol old Vic young company would go up and do it in Edinburgh. And they'd all come back and be like, we were just at Edinburgh Fringe over the summer. And I'd always be like, what? That sounds amazing. And I'd never been. And so this was like my first time going. And I like, and yes, doing the show was amazing, da, da, da. But I actually like, you know, I had a rule when people were talking to me in bars, like don't talk to me about my show. You get one question about the show and then not. For me, I became obsessed with seeing how other artists work. Mm. And Mm. seeing how they do stuff and seeing how they prepare, seeing how they're nervous. I was like a geek. I geeked out for a whole month because I got to see all these artists in their element or in their zone, in their own schedule. It was, it was so cool. I learned so much. It felt like an education, like to see what this artist that you really respect, admire does when they get a bad review or to see what an artist does when they have no seats in their, in their venue, to see like all of these things, to see what they do when they're hungover and they have to put like all of this. Yeah, like, I just loved. And we, we had such a, I think there was, you know, I hate to say clips, but like there was a cohort of this kind of queer cabaret yeah. live world up that year that meant that I was like, oh, okay, like I know these people, but I don't know them a month's well. Like, you know, like it's different when you see them every day in the bar, you know? So um, what, do you have anything kind of in the pipeline for when things start to come back online? I, I do have some things that were in the pipeline, but I am the queen of a reveal. And uh, I love a good promo reveal. And I think that all comes with uh, never teasing and just giving. Okay. Uh, 
And I, also, I have no idea when it's going to exist either. Right. You know, that's also the thing. <laughs> you know, I could talk about this thing and in two years I could still be saying it's coming up because it could still... <laughs> I'm not dropping that yet. But yeah, um, maybe I'll tease and hint that um, I'm getting some dance lessons. Oh, my God. Wow. That's really... That is very exciting. I'm getting some dance lessons. And if there was a theme between burgers and this new show I would say is both use unconventional cast members okay mm-hmm. exciting yeah I am I'm now picturing the like the Bristol old Vic um Neheim dance yes I'm doing an hour-long blowjob to symbol what I've lost during lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Like each time we've been speaking to people as well, like I feel more positive about the like future of performance. I guess that's, you've kind of touched on it, but I guess that would be my like final sort of like, what you think the future holds for us all. What your crystal ball tell us? <laughs> well, who knows? But I think that it's going to require us to be in communication more intentionally and that we were never working in silence but I think there is a there is a danger if you get into your own trajectory and world and you just go and I think what I'm hoping and feel like will only be possible is collaboration is going to be ever more important and I'm hoping that this time as we see a future performance that might make the disparities of who could perform and not perform even wider but sharing resources and how you share resources becomes an embedded part of your practice and so I'm hoping that things like this or workshops etc you know sometimes they're seen as the supplements to our work you know we go oh we do those workshops so we can pay for our, our thing to then make the show but I wonder if actually what we'll see is people treating workshops skill shares as just as big artistic projects as when they make a performance or a show. Um, I had one final really important question, which is that at the beginning of lockdown, you tweeted that you've got quite heavily into Mario Kart. And I just wondered where you're at with that. Um, (laughs) Do you you have it on the Switch? Yeah, uh, no, I've got it on my phone. I've got the Mario Kart app and I, oh my God, it's taken over my life. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So um, I'm not as good for how much I should have, I've been playing, but I play with, the people that have became my main players is Malik, but also apart from that is the Burgers tech and um, stage management team. So it's been really nice. Like we played on tour and then we continue to play. Um, it's good. I think there was a time in lockdown when I was spending week four to six, I was spending like six hours a day. So now I'm limiting it to two sessions a week. Okay. Um, and I've got, I started with, 4,000 points online. I now have 10,000 points. Wow. Yes. But for how much game time I played, apparently it's not that good. (laughs) 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 Amazing. Oh, thanks so much for talking. It's so nice to see you. Yeah. um, Yeah, thank you. Um, Good luck with like the secret project. And the voiceovers as yeah. well. I can't wait to hear you on like what you're doing, like Dove soap or something. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. This was so nice, so lovely. Thanks for asking. Really lovely. Oh, lots of love. Bye, lots of love. See you later. Bye. Bye. 
That was the wise, witty and wonderful Travis Alabanza. Next episode is the final one of this inaugural batch. I know, but good news, we end with a legend. Hooray! Our guardian angel and someone who over the years has become not only our friend, but also, I'm proud to say, our cold, calculating business associate. It is the one and only David Hoyle. I feel like I'm sort of, some sort of mannequin that was on the stage and has just been unceremoniously dumped into the wings and will lie there until such time as the lights flicker back on. That's David Hoyle coming up next episode on Curtain Twitchers, so be there. Whenever you fancy, actually, because this will be up online forever and ever. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Thank you for listening. Um, Please subscribe, tell your friends, tell your mum, tell your neighbour. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, say things to us, DM us. We're so lonely. Just talk to us. At Bourge Maurice. All of that. Bye. Bye. Curtain Twitchers. We're Curtain Twitchers. Twitchers.